Welcome to The Rock Fight, where we speak our truth, slay sacred cows, and sometimes agree to disagree. This is an outdoor podcast that aims for the head. I'm Colin True, and Kyle Frost is back on the show. And he's here with some exciting news because he's no longer simply Kyle Frost, but he is, in fact, Mountain Gazette's Kyle Frost. Welcome back to the show, Kyle. It is great to be back. So tell us about last time we spoke to you. You weren't with Mountain Gazette. Now, big announcement last week that uh, you're writing for Mountain Gazette now. Uh, yeah, so here and there, I've, I've been writing here and there for uh, a couple years uh, on and off. And Mike Rogie, the founder and uh, editor of Mountain Gazette, has been a longtime reader. And a couple weeks ago, he reached out and ba- basically the situation was, was he was getting a lot of text messages and emails uh, every time that I wrote something. So uh, not only is that, does that feel good on my side, but for him, <laughs> uh, he just kind of brought, brought up the potential of, of here and there joining Mountain Gazette and we had a, a great conversation and now I'm writing weekly for Mountain Gazette's, uh, subscriber base. So I am the lone digital black sheep. <laughs> Mountain Gazette. Yeah, right. Good point. And the, <laughs> the giant print magazine. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's, it's it's fun how these things work. I think this is very indicative of the outdoor space. You hear lots of stories like this of like, oh, I knew so-and-so or so-and-so saw something I did, whether it's at a brand or in media, um, you know, and all the success definitely earned by you for putting in the time. I mean, it's, it's why you're here. You know, I I subscribed to your newsletter. I'm like, Hey, do you want to come on the show? Then it's like, Hey, do you want to keep coming on the show? <laughs> you know, like, so, uh, it's great thing. Big things ahead for you, man. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. Uh, I, I really honestly think there's very few publications that I would have, uh, made this decision to work with. And, you know, the, the mountain gazette, audience I, I feel like is pretty open to a lot of complexity and nuance and you know occasionally being surprised when something is outdoor adjacent or you know not quite uh specifically in in that lane so mm-hmm. um, yeah I'm, I'm pretty excited to have a much larger audience <laughs> uh, and all the all the pressure that comes with that so uh yeah it's fun well, your appearance today and going forward is brought to you by Mountain Gazette, the big twice annual print magazine. Head over to mountaingazette.com to subscribe today. If they want to continue to subscribe, any new subscribers to here and there, uh, I'll, I'll put the link to that in the show notes. You know, your first uh, newsletter for the year, uh, it was a little delayed as you were working all the details, sounds like with Rogie and Mountain Gazette, but uh, was regards to the re- reintroduction of wolves to the state of Colorado. Yeah, I mean, so I wanted to start off with something that was, you know, very tame and non-controversial and non-emotional. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I, I picked the extremely contentious uh, topic of wolves in Colorado. And this issue uh, kind of started... Uh, kind of 2018-2019 when it hit the actually hit the ballot to uh, vote on the reintroduction of wolves to Colorado. And the kind of pro side of this is, is a lot of conservationists wanted to bridge the, the wolf habitat from uh, kind of, you know, uh, Montana, uh, Wyoming, Idaho, where they've already been reintroduced uh, and been growing and kind of the southern U.S., uh, Colorado has been kind of a gap. There really haven't been wolves here since uh, around the 1940s. There's been a little bit of migration uh, from uh, from Wyoming in the, in the last couple of years from from packs there and then in northern Colorado, but not like a, a, any significant populations. And obviously, on the, on the other side of uh, of the debate is, is a lot of uh, hunters, ranchers, 
uh, and people that just don't think that we should be voting on these sorts of things. Um, there's a, a pretty big urban-rural divide here that that voting on this caused, where conservationists in the Front Range and Boulder and Denver and, and places like that voted heavily in, yeah. in favor of reintroduction. But obviously, like wolf reintroduction is not going to affect anyone in Boulder uh, or Denver. Uh, it's going to affect people in Grand County and you know Route and all, all of those sort of things that you know may actually feel the effects of of wolf. Uh, reintroduction in positive or, or negative ways. So uh, long story short, like a, a really complex issue with some pretty yeah. emotional reactions on, on both sides. And I, I really tried my best to provide a, a measured take on, you know, what the realities of reintroduction are and the realities of, of negative impacts and potential positive impacts. Do they do they know why the migration isn't happening just naturally? Because I think they're starting to see signs even here in California of wolves starting to show up here, which I believe is from some of those reintroductions in other states. Like, what what is the is it, it just human barriers? Uh, no, no, it is. I mean, it was happening naturally, which is was part of the the like the opinions against it was that some people felt that we should have let it continue to happen naturally. Um, right, there were. Not, I mean, not a ton of sightings and and in documented migration, but in in North, like the North Park region uh, in Colorado, there were definitely wolves moving in from Wyoming. You know, it would take, it would take longer. Uh, so then, what what's the argument for reintroduction? Like, the re- is there really a good argument for? Re- <laughs> You're smiling immediately. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, if, if you want wolves back in Colorado and you think that they're a uh, a benefit to the ecosystem and the health of the ecosystem. It's really, I mean, this is really about supercharging the the growth of wolves in Colorado. It's 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 you know waiting, you know, ten years to reach X you know X level of population versus fifteen or twenty or or whatever it is. It's sort of I mean, your great your article did a great job of breaking down the kind of the conflicts and the criticisms uh, that you know that have arisen as a result. I mean, what are some of the things that can be learned from? What they have learned in Idaho and Wyoming and Montana, where this has been going on for years. I mean, that, God, I remember hearing about wolf reintroduction like in the 90s, right? I think that's what you yeah. said even in your article, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in general, it's gone really positively. You know, a lot of the perceived or anecdotal negative effects are pretty hard to back up in, in the data. Elk herds have continued to thrive, which is always a concern of the hunting community. Um, and you know, there are areas where uh, the wolf population growth has uh, affected ungulate herds, uh, but there's it, it's a, it is a piece of the puzzle. Um, you know, those areas are also areas where, you know, there's a lot of human impact and there may be disease. And, you know, a common one that people mentioned that I don't even think I, I brought up in the article is the, the wolves, or no, sorry, the, the moose in Teton. Teton County have like had a precipitous decline over the last 20 years. Mm. And a lot of people point to the wolves for that. But if you actually talk to any ecologists and, and wildlife biologists and things, there's a, not only did the decline start before the wolves were reintroduced, but there's just a lot of other factors with habitat loss and climate change and, uh, you know, disease uh, and that sort of thing that. You know, they're, they're not positive <laughs> what's doing it, right. uh, but it's not just the wolves. I mean, this is such a nuanced thing and there's so many data points and, and what humans are what we're just so conditioned to be like, well, this is what I think. And it's like, if you need to change my mind, you need to have like, 
here's the point that's going to change my mind. I mean, you make a great point in your article that, look, all wildlife is tracked and managed at this point. Maybe not to the point where like every animal is tagged and we know exactly where they go, but we understand like behavior of herds and migration and where things are and what they're supposed to be. I would think if, yeah, if, if the if the moose population is declining, it'd be pretty obvious to tell like, oh, this is because of the wolf reintroduction, right? I mean, it's, so it's it's... It's a really, I imagine this is an, well, you said at the beginning, it's an incredibly complicated topic to sort of drive any real conclusions out of. Yeah, absolutely. Like on, on, on both sides, on both sides of the debate as well. Like they're yeah, not, totally right. and I think the criticisms of a lot of the front range voters are pretty valid. Like the, those voters are some of the least engaged, actually least engaged on a day-to-day basis when it comes to conservation and, you know, activism and, and that sort of thing. Like, sure, you voted on it, but like, yeah, you know, the people that live in the mountains are way more engaged with the state of our wildlife than, than you are. At the same time, those front-range voters are some of the most disenfranchised when it comes to conservation issues because, you know, hunters and anglers and, and ranchers have an oversized impact in how, you know, maybe Colorado Parks and Wildlife makes decisions, which it, I mean, that, that's a challenging balance to, to strike there. But, you know, well, they're, wolves aren't an ecological panacea. Like they're not going to solve everything. Like you said, we're not going to release them and <laughs> everything's going to be amazing. We already have. Like, well, it's just like herd. it was 200 years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> we already have the largest elk herd in the country in Colorado. I read through a bunch of Colorado Parks and Wildlife reports on uh, both, you know, ungulate and predator management, of which there's, I, I don't know, there's like 23 regions in Colorado, and they do it for the elk, they do it for the bighorn sheep, they do it for the mountain lions, they do it for the wolves. It's a lot of reading, <laughs> and it's really complicated. And I don't think most people realize that, you know, are as much as we'd like to believe that we're going to reintroduce wolves and like it's this beautiful ecological system is going to be just kind of running on its own. Most, I mean, the wildlife in the United States and the North American model is managed. Like we are looking at the population of elk in every region and we're looking at the ratio of males to females and we're looking at the, you know, birth success rate and that's informing Things like uh, like hunting rates, like how many, right, what do right. you hunt? How many permits are given out? Like, how does that tie into like maintaining a healthy population? And I, I you know, I, I talked to uh, to one researcher that had a, a really interesting perspective on this. With, that was, you know, we can wrap all of this stuff up in detailed scientific research that says X, that says Y. Yeah. But at the end of the day, a lot of these decisions just come down to what's essentially a value-based judgment, which is like, like what is the right amount of elk? Like, what is the right amount of yeah, elk? And, and how can we like, even know? I mean, like, they weren't keeping this detailed data in like 1862 or yeah. whatever, right? I mean, it just like, it's got to be somewhat of a, of, a, of a gut shot here. You yeah, know? at some point, someone makes the decision that like, uh, there's... <laughs> Too many elk, like the elk are, there's too many elk, they're coming into, uh, they're coming down to lower elevations and, you know, messing up farms and getting too involved with humans. Like we're going to raise yeah. the, the hunting permits a little bit next year. Or, you know, in, in the case of wolves, like, like, oh, they, they killed 
three three cows this year. Is that acceptable? Is that too many? Like, is killing a couple dogs too many? Like, at some point, someone's going to be like, this is acceptable or this is not. Well, that, that's kind of what I go back to the beginning question. And I, what I was thinking about or reading it, because I, I don't know, I t- maybe it's just so many years working in sales and marketing. I just kind of try and find like the simplest th- line through why. And if it's from even from a conservation point of view, even if you believe in your heart of hearts that like it really makes a it makes a difference introducing having wolves in the ecosystem is going to make things better. But it is kind of happening on its own, to your point, like the those introductions in the northern Rockies and Montana, everything are starting to bear fruit in other places. So yeah, really all it seems like you're in doing is inviting bad PR. I, I and to your point too, what a what an interesting case study in terms of voting patterns. And typically it's like, oh, here's the population centers, they vote more liberal, the rural rural areas are more conservative. When you're talking about public policy, it makes sense. Well, here you have all the control in the and in a, basically an entire different ecosystem in the front range than what's up in the mountains. And if I'm living in the mountains, even if like my values align with someone in the front range, it still might be like, hey, hey, easy down there, guys. Like you don't know what's going on up here. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate that that divide has been created here. Uh, yeah. And it's a challenging place for Colorado Parks and Wildlife to be because, you know, they initially issued guidance, I think, back in, in 2016 that they weren't going to reintroduce in like forcibly reintroduce wolves. I, I, you know, I've talked to a couple people and, you know, I kind of have my own opinions on why, but like, they don't want to be political (laughs) and they've been forced (laughs) to be kind of political by, you know, being the agency that's, you know, in in charge of reintroduction and predator management is expensive and reintroduction is expensive. And, you know, there's a whole, you know, bureaucracy and people and time and, and all these kinds of things like whether or not you think it's a good idea for the wolves to be here or be reintroduced. Like it's, it, it's challenging for CPW. Like it makes their job a little bit harder. Totally. Yeah. Um, and what, what also, I don't know what the cost, but could that, what, what else could that money have been spent on if this is sort of happening at a slower pace anyway? I don't know. Like I, I is there any real conclusion that can be drawn here? I mean, this is like the epitome of a time will tell situation. It sounds like. Oh, absolutely. Like this is the, they're, the wolves are here. <laughs> they released, I mean, there's, they released 10 of them <laughs> this year. Um, and, you know, CPW is going to keep an eye on them. They're going to, you know, keep an eye on whether they encroach on, you know, wildlife or, they, you know, if they change elk populations, how fast the wolves, wolf population grows, if they're yeah. killing livestock, if they're interacting with humans, which... I mean, I've talked to a lot of other people that just think this whole debate about the wolves is just kind of pointless because that's still a distraction from the fact that we we are mostly the biggest problem. <laughs> or what if like there's like some super cr- crunchy like granola person from Netherland who's out there like looking for the wolves right now? Like, oh, we gotta we gotta take my children to go find oh, the wolves, sure. and then she gets hurt or the yeah. kid gets eaten. You know, <laughs> like that's yeah. Let's <laughs> let's not hope it gets to that. <laughs> Do you have a gut right now that's like, was this even worth it? Like, do you think it was worth it? I mean, I'm, I am supportive of wolf reintroduction in Colorado just because I think that it's usually worth doing some level of, of kind of reconstruction of habitat if we can to the stuff that we've screwed up and, you know, hunted, hunted wolves out of the state. Like, they are yeah. part of the ecosystem. They are, you know, ecosystem here. Um, but, I mean, I, I, other than that, like... 
we're just going to have to see. Well, uh, the only thing, other thing I wanted to talk about today is I've been dying to talk about it was uh, per the OR Daily um, solo brands. This is a couple, like last week or a week or two, week or two ago. I've not had a chance to talk with anybody about this, and I'm excited you're here to, to break this down with me. So maker of Solar Stove and other brands, they announced changing, they're changing CEOs in the wake of major, major marketing investments the company made, including the viral Snoop Dogg marketing campaign for Solo Stove, which I spoke to Chris Dickey who's the uh, PR guy who who ran the the messaging and, and media part of that campaign a few weeks ago here on The Rock Fight. The company haven't, hasn't resulted in substantial revenue increase as a result of those campaigns. That The two campaigns really in question is the Snoop Dogg campaign for Solo Stove, and then they also sponsored a float and then you know, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. You know, my knee jerk on this, and I got into a, a back and forth on Instagram with the guy who wrote the article, I felt bad because I wasn't calling him out. But I wrote that like this is a misleading headline because this guy was probably like, had to have been dead man walking. I there's no this is a brand marketing initiative. There's field marketing and then there's brand marketing, and this is you don't just have this ad or this float and then a few weeks later be like, well that didn't work. This is totally about brand awareness, not about ringing the register. And it just it drives me a little crazy the way this continues to kind of crop up even in the last few weeks. People are glomming on with like, well even if you make a big splash, it doesn't matter it did matter i feel like to solo and what what was your take on this yeah i mean i've been seeing the same kind of clickbaity linkedin things about you know oh like this is why you gotta like tailor your marketing to your consumer and and that sort of stuff and it's just a, a very convenient narrative i think that tied to such splashy marketing i agree with you there's no way that there haven't been undercurrents of uh, of sales trends or other things happening prior to the CEO leaving. One, you just don't turn around a CEO that fast. They were There were probably transition talks. There were probably CEO search stuff already kind of brewing uh, before the Snoop stuff went out. And like you said, like you're you're not looking like three or four weeks later and being like, oh, like we didn't sell a hundred yeah. million dollars worth of solo stoves because of the you know, friggin' Snoop ad. Uh, it that's just not how these things work. <laughs> Look, these. If you want to say that it was too much money, like, hey, we spent way too yeah, much on I these mean, marketing that's... initiatives, and he was irresponsible in how managing whatever. There's a million ways to put it, but to say that it didn't get the result you were looking for. Now, I you can make the case. I've seen the case I've seen made is that you know this became more of an ad for Snoop than Solo Stove. Sure, you could say that, but it's like, you know, that's that that's a gamble I think anybody would take. Like right now, if Mountain Gazette or The Rock Fight could get Snoop Dogg on to say three <laughs> words, we would say, yeah, all right. <laughs> if they don't, if half the people remember our brands over Snoop, that's a win. This is Snoop Dogg we're talking about. So, yeah, I just, it, it's a little too convenient. And then I guess it's, but whatever, fine. It's a publicly traded company. These things happen. Transitions happen all the time. Well, the reason I kind of, been holding on to this and wanting to talk about it is like you said the the kind of junior marketers who are popping up on social media to kind of continue to like you know use it as like to show the world they're smart by pointing out that boy solo stove got it wrong and yeah it's like and that, it's, it's not just, just so like solo brands is not just good point. solo stove like the the market right. for a smokeless stove fire pit thing is is only so big to begin with like um, you know, there's Oreo, they own Chubbies, they own Isle, like the Sups. I'm surprised they're putting this all on solo. At least most of the stuff that I've I've seen. Yeah. 
I imagine that if you went a little deeper into how they've been talking about the brand or stuff that's been happening over the last 12 months, mm-hmm. I, I imagine somewhere you would find stuff about declining sales or, you know, I don't know, deep, like direct. Yeah, maybe he's, maybe he's not even paying attention friends. to other brands because he's outside in Snoop Dogg to like yeah. work with the stove. Right. So I, my totally. main problem is just like this whole like direct line of like, Oh, Snoop, me too. Snoop bad CEO fired. Like it's not as simple as that. There's more, go- there's more here. Brand marketing. You have to give time. It's brand awareness. It's, you're talking about customer awareness, not field marketing, which is, oh, this will result in sales at the register. This is, That's not what this was. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Make sure uh, everybody go and subscribe to Kyle's newsletter. And uh, I guess we'll see you next week. Yeah, that sounds good. Good to be back and uh, great, to, great to chat again. All right. See you then. All right. That's the pod for today. But before you move on to that deep dive into episode two of True Detective, I need you to open up the podcast app where you're listening to this and give that follow button just a little old tap to subscribe to The Rock Flight. And then you can expect a special new subscriber gift to arrive by Carrier Pigeon within the hour. Thank you for becoming a new Rock Flight subscriber. The Rock Flight is a production of Rock Flight LLC. I'm Colin True. Thanks for listening. And here to take us out is the most famous tour guide from the Punk Rock Museum in Las Vegas. It's Chris Demakes. And he's going to play the Rock Fight fight song right now and just for you. We'll see you next time, Rock Fighters. Rock fight.